Support for Healthcare Americana comes from Freedom HealthWorks. With Freedom HealthWorks, physicians, employers, and patients can thrive in direct care. Visit FreedomHealthWorks.com to start your journey into direct care today. From Freedom HealthWorks, it's Healthcare Americana, a show about innovators, idealists, and pioneers in healthcare. Today's episode is as timely as it may be provocative. A growing chorus advocates for a full government takeover of healthcare, known by the sterile moniker single payer. But how many of those people have themselves lived under a socialist healthcare system? Dr. Katerina Lindley, a practicing direct primary care physician in Texas, shares her firsthand experience growing up with socialized healthcare in communist Yugoslavia. She reveals how the myth of universal coverage is nothing but a useful illusion and describes the futility of forcing an entire country into a one-size-fits-all system. Buckle up for a trip back in time behind the Iron Curtain with direct relevance to today's healthcare debate. I'm a firm believer that for a healthcare system to continue to thrive, we have to allow physicians to become a little bit more independent, and I found that in direct primary care. And also, I feel that patients have to get hold of their healthcare. You decide how much you pay, you decide what you want to spend that money. Letting someone else make decisions for you, I think, is uh, what has gotten us into this mess. Hello, everyone. Healthcare Americana listeners, welcome back. I'm your guest host today, Adam Habig, happily sitting in for the normal host, Christopher Habig. He and his wife welcomed a lovely baby girl, and so uh, he is at home and asked me to step in a pinch hit for him. So I have the, the privilege and the pleasure today of speaking with Dr. Katerina Lindley, owner and president of Eagle Medical Center Direct Primary Care, and the president of the Texas chapter of the American College of Osteopathic Family Physicians. So, Dr. Lindley, welcome to Healthcare Americana. Thank you for having me. I'm excited today. We get to talk about something very timely and something very near and dear to my heart and, and with at risk of, of really wading into some dangerous waters in terms of politics, and, and that seems to be, uh, everything is political these days, everything is a hot button issue, but something very interesting that, that our listeners need to understand if they haven't um, heard your story already. Very fascinating background, and, and really, I'd like you to go into that detail, um, where you grew up, how you grew up, what you saw in the system uh, to which you were subjected, and the lessons that might have for the direction of our healthcare system today. We have a lot of voices that are offering many different so-called solutions. And I think one thing that's, that's always been interesting to me is the, the notion that our healthcare system uh, would be better off, uh, we'll say, fully run by government agents or bureaucrats. And, and I don't know any, any example where that's actually led to a uh, a better consumer experience, uh, a cheaper system, a more affordable system. But I figured let's start there. And, and could you just talk to the audience about your background and, and what you experienced growing up in what is really socialized medicine? So I was born in um, Yugoslavia, 
and you know we're, we were a communist country at the time the narrative of that time is kind of reminds me of what we're trying to go through right now which is you know a dilemma in its own but um it was um it, it's the care in um, Yugoslavia was socialized care and um, my personal experience is um, my mom actually died um, when my just before my um, poor child was born I was pregnant with him when my mom was sick but for years she was getting sick you know she kept on having these we call them gripas which are like um, flu type of illnesses and every uh, winter every spring she would get she would go to the hospital and this was happening for years. And then all of a sudden, next thing I know, I was about six months pregnant with Jack. And, uh, you know, my older sisters and brother kind of tried to shield me from lots of stuff. And they didn't tell me mom was dying. But mom was dying of tuberculosis. And the reason she was dying from tuberculosis is because for years she was not diagnosed. It was really hard knowing that you have a parent who you haven't seen in years. And um, I was not allowed to fly and say goodbye to her. I was pregnant. She was dying of tuberculosis, so my OB would not let me do that. And for something like that to happen, you know, in this point in our um, healthcare, even in Europe, it's really unheard of to be dying of tuberculosis in a country that shouldn't really have something like that. And um, interesting thing, and I have a, actually, I have even worse story than that in my, my friend's uh, dad, in a, I forget if she was in Romania, I think she was Romania. He was diagnosed with heart disease. He needed to have a, cardiac heart. He needed to have certain things. He was having chest pain and uh, they um, scheduled his procedure six months later. I think it was about six, seven months. He died of a fatal heart attack one day before his cardiac cath. So for these people who say that, oh, you know, people who talk about uh, medical for all is not going to work. They don't know what they're talking about. It's not true because even before COVID hit, like I would say last September, October, we started getting uh, lots of different data from Great Britain. They were, pub they were publishing it themselves, showing that uh, waits were long. Patients could not have surgeries. They were kind of strat uh, stratified based on risk and things like that. They even had a child with asthma in the ER sleeping on the floor. And it was a huge story. And one of the saddest stories uh, was a 16-year-old girl in Canada who had leukemia. They found a donor, and it's very hard to find a donor that really matches. They found a donor, everything. She could not have transplanted, and she died because there was no room in the OR or in the system or whatever it was. But that article is out there to be seen. It's not, we're not making these things up. So for a country like ours to have something like universal centralized system, we just have to look at the VA. I, uh, you know, I got involved in advocacy for medicine and things like that because of what I've seen happening to the veterans. They cannot decide what happens to them. They have to go through the system. They have to wait to be seen. If they are sick, they actually have to go to the ER because the chances of them seeing a doctor at the VA when they're sick are very, depends on the VA system, depends on the part of the country, how busy the VA is. I understand that. But this should never happen. When you're sick, you should be able to see a doctor within a day. They actually have to go to the ER because seeing their primary care doctor is very difficult. And a um, country like ours with the population that we have, we don't have enough doctors. We don't have enough nurse practitioners. We don't have enough PAs. 
And there's going to be someone who's going to make those decisions, who's going to be seen, who's going to have surgery. Is the 70-year-old going to have a hip replacement or a 50-year-old because he has a greater life expectancy? Those things do happen. People think they don't, but they do happen in countries that have this type of system. So I, I'm strongly against it. I don't see it as a uh, viable option for us because um, obviously I'm an immigrant. Uh, you can tell by my accent, but one of the reasons I love United States, I love America, is the American spirit. We're a country of entrepreneurship, we're a country of innovation, we're a country of good and bad ideas. So to put healthcare into this one little box, I think it's a mistake. Sure, we can have that little part of the box for people who need it. And that's where we have Medicaid, although Medicaid is not great, but it's an option, right? Sure. And then we have Medicare who I, you know, again, it's not great, but we have it as an option. But you kind of have to have this in the middle where people try to figure out what's best for them. And, you know, if you're a young person, do you really need insurance? Probably not. You just really need catastrophic insurance and you need someone like maybe like what I do, direct primary care, or even someone different where you just see the doctor when you meet them and you're sick and you have this insurance option. Well, if I get in a car accident, someone's going to cover the hospital. So having this like one thing for all, I'm strongly against that because none of us are, we're not the same. We all need a little bit different. Right. Yeah. I couldn't agree more. And, and there, there's firsthand empirical evidence uh, because you've lived it and you've, you've sadly had to live with the, uh, the fallout uh, from a system that is um, built, as you described, a one size fits all top down, very rigid system. And one thing you said that, that I think resonates is that in a country as vast as the United States, 300 plus million people, we all have, we being all of us consumers of healthcare ourselves, as well as then physicians like yourself, we all have our own needs. We all have our own ideas of the most appropriate type of healthcare for ourselves and our families. And uh, that's one thing that Chris and I have often talked about at Freedom HealthWorks is let's empower, let's do our part to try to empower Americans to to seek out and and find that optimal type of care for themselves and not be uh, driven into something that that is um, you know a gold silver bronze type of a of a strata where you've got three choices and you you have to shoehorn three hundred million people into one of three choices doesn't make any sense the the other thing that and we talked a bit in the in the um, I guess the pre interview call is the notion, and I'm, uh, forgive me, indulge me audience, I'm going to wax philosophical, but the, the notion that the, the upward surge of human progress has been marked by something uh, that has been termed the right to exit. And what that means is when human beings have the, the freedom, the liberty, or the right to innovate, to exit archaic fossilized systems, whether that be political, governmental, economic, when they have the right to do that or the freedom to do that, uh, that's where you see gigantic leaps forward in human, human progress. And what we're talking about when you talk about going to, to a government-run system or single-payer or socialized medicine is closing off those rights, the, the right to innovate, the right to find better ways. And you mentioned it. There, there are all these green shoots of progress right now of innovation springing up. Direct primary care is one. Um, there's all kinds of innovation occurring that are driving down the price of care. And to stifle that, 
before it even has a chance to really flourish would be would be criminal. But how do you see this? Um, I guess there, there's a debate and there's an ongoing debate in America today. What similarities do you see emerging within our healthcare system that you can relate back to the communist system in which you grew up? Um, it's been very difficult for me in these past few months to see what's happening because um, I started realizing that COVID-19, it's a health crisis, it's a humanitarian crisis, but it has become a political crisis. And watching different governors make decisions, some good, some bad, some of them are really like mind-boggling. Like uh, Governor of Michigan at one point decided that you cannot go to buy little packets of seeds of flowers because she she thought she was I actually don't know what she told us. I'm not going to go that way. But, I, you know, I started thinking to myself, who actually says you can go buy flower seeds? Does that make any sense? And then, you know, you start seeing these things. And then uh, we had different states. So whether you like hydrochloroquine or not, you and I are not going to debate that. I have my thoughts. You might have yours. Your audience might have others. That's not for the debate. What's for the debate is, does anyone think that governor who has not gone to medical school, has any right to tell the doctor that they cannot prescribe medication that we prescribe for a very long time. There has been, so we prescribe hydrochloroquine to patients who have rheumatoid arthritis, 200 milligrams twice a day for the rest of their life. We watch them and we don't actually watch their heart, we watch their eyes. That's kind of where you have to watch hydrochloroquine once a year, right? All of a sudden, this hydrochloroquine became this political debate. You're going to kill someone if you give it to them. First of all, if you're going to give it to them, you'll give them 200 twice a day for five days. Are you really going to kill someone? I don't think so. And then, and then another thing is like, does anyone think that I as a doctor want to kill someone? Really? In which planet do we live on? So that was kind of the first concern I had, but I started seeing these governors, um, you know, saying that doctors cannot prescribe the medicine because... I'm going to go on. Really? Do I really want to go to jail? I went into medicine because I want to help people. So, you know, let's leave that alone. And then you, then they couldn't do it that way. So some board of pharmacy decided to tell their pharmacies that they cannot dispense medication that we order for our patient. If people don't recognize that that's wrong, then I'm not really sure what you guys think is right. Yeah. Because that's really what totalitarianism is. And we're going there every single day. Okay, let's not even debate, uh, are you going to abolish the police and stuff like that. But really, can you live in a society without law and order? You can't. Just go back to like Romans, Greeks. You don't even go, have to go back to, you know, communism or fascism. You know, just go back to like those Egyptians, their societies. Everyone has lived on some kind of law and order. Sure. And, um, you know, seeing these things that are going they're kind of going simultaneously to what's going on with Corona. I think the reason most people are um, frustrated, and I as a physician who understand data, I'm struggling in um, understanding the data that's coming out. I can see where a normal person is frustrated. Do we wear a mask? We don't wear a mask. Do we wear a mask? We don't wear a mask. And the data that's being reported on coronavirus cases in different states, it's very hard for me to digest, and I can imagine it's even harder for someone else because you don't know who to trust anymore. I think we would have had handle on this if we actually could believe what we're being told. And when you you see an article coming from Orlando saying that 
some labs are reporting 100% uh, positivity rate, and then someone goes back and says, well, that doesn't make sense. Then they figure out, oh, we forgot to report the negative rate. How can you believe anything? It's very difficult. You know, so like I was saying before, there's these two things happening at the same time. We have pandemic that's keeping us very afraid. And then we have these other things politically happening because we have election. And it's very difficult to go through that right now and not kind of be reminded of uh, what I've lived through um, living in communism. And, Certainly. you know, just for people to understand, uh, when you live in communism or any kind of uh, totalitarian regime, and let's not forget fascism, you know, communism and fascism are actually very, very close, very close. People forget that Nazi, Nazis and communists actually, they do share some ideals. When you cannot have a progress in society, to give you an example, in Yugoslavia, if you did not carry your red card, that you're part of Communist Party, you could not make any advance in your job or anything like that. So when people, you know, when I see these little things happening, and I know, you know, I'm maybe leaping, but you guys don't have red flags that I do. Luckily, I don't live in a big city. I live in a smaller area in Texas, you know, but I do hear from people who are afraid to just go out. They're not sure what's going to happen and things like that. And I was trying to figure out why was I so depressed? Why was I so um, afraid of what's going on? And I actually had a flashback about, I think it was about a week ago, before the war started in Croatia, my brother-in-law was traveling from our capital to Split, and I'm on Mediterranean, so they have to kind of travel for several hours in a car. And um, he was stopped by these, uh, you know, radical people there. And um, they were toying with the idea of killing him. And then they decided not to kill him. They let him go home. And uh, I think two days later, they actually killed someone that exhausts the same spot. And I'm not saying we're there. I'm really not. But it's hard not to remember those things when you hear about riots and everything that's happening. And... Um, and I fear that, like, this coronavirus is being used as a vehicle to get us somewhere where I don't think this country really wants to go. Well, that's terrifying. Uh, Dr. Lindley, that is absolutely terrifying uh, because you're correct that um, you have a unique perspective and you can, you know, you might sense or perceive undercurrents and different things uh, in a way that, that I would not, uh, having never lived or experienced um, totalitarianism firsthand. But I um, appreciate you sharing that perspective. I, when you were speaking, one thing I thought uh, of as well is that the notion that within those types of systems, uh, one of the first casualties is often, is often truth. And one fallacy that we contend with today uh, in our system is this notion that uh, the goal has to be the idea that everybody has universal health coverage. And, and it's a slight twist uh, of words, and we've spoken about that, Chris has on this show before, the notion that having coverage or health insurance does not mean you have any sort of access to health care. And that's one thing that um, uh, I would imagine you've seen the proliferation of this notion that everybody, if we could just get everybody covered, that would solve the problem. And health insurance being really the, the manifestation of a financial risk related to uh, health care is not the same as delivering good, high-quality 
affordable health care. I know you've wrestled with that in your role as medical director and otherwise. Yeah, I actually can give you a very good example of that. And I agree. Coverage does not equal care. That's what people need to understand. Having an insurance card does not mean that you actually will see a doctor. And I'll give you the example. So when Obamacare was implemented, you know, I was medical director of a rural health clinic and the clinic pretty much took every, they still take every insurance. No one wants to take it. The um, rural clinics will because, you know, they do get subsidized from the government so they can stay open and things like that because they're needed in these areas. So we took all these insurances that no one has ever heard of. And um, as a family doctor, you inherit patients who, some of them were healthy, but most of them were pretty sick because they haven't seen a doctor in a very long time. And then uh, you have to start, you know, reading through what's going on and try. As a family doctor, people always say, like, what is the hardest specialty? And, and if you ask, like, people, they say, oh, neurosurgeon or cardiologist or whatever, you know. I actually really think it's family medicine. And I know, like, people don't think that. But as a family doctor, I have to know a little bit about everything so I can recognize what's wrong and send them to specialists. Now, my husband is a pain physician, anesthesia trained. All he needs to know is about pain and how to relieve pain in certain areas of the body. So, um, you know, when I started getting these patients who were very sick, all of a sudden I became a neurologist. I had to become cardiologist and not like a little. I had to like really know because I had patients who had active seizures and no one would take them. I have, I have neurologists in my area, but they don't take this insurance. So the fact that the patient had the insurance card, I could not get them anywhere. And I had to figure out how to treat seizures. And like I said, like you actually do a lot of training to get there as a neurologist. So it's like phone a friend type of a thing. You call your friend who's a neurologist, say, hey, I have this case. What do I do? Because no one will take his insurance. And uh, it's very important to understand that this system is not built for us to have something like universal healthcare. And the reason I'm actually against it, I'll give you a little bit of how I became direct primary care doctor. I never wanted to be my own boss. Never, never, never. You guys have no idea. I hated the idea. My husband always tried to say, you could have your own practice and do whatever you want. I'm like, no, 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 I'm good. I'm, I'm fine. Because I have five kids, you know. So I wanted to go to work, do my job, come home and be mom. I didn't want to have a, my own practice and deal with that. So certain things happened uh, that I did not agree with at work and I decided to separate from them. And um, I had a friend who did direct primary care. She kept on saying, you have to do this. And I'm very temperamental. So I kind of got you know, mad at what was happening at work. And I'm like, I opened direct primary care practice. Because the nice thing about direct primary care, every single one of us does it a little bit different. We definitely talk and we, we all get like our best ideas and we pull what we want out of there. But I found a place to rent in my town. I had my doctor back from medical school. I didn't have any of those fancy instruments that like, if you go to a Baylor Medical Center or like, I don't know where you are, but like if you go to like this big doctor group, they have like the best equipment, the best instruments. I had my doctor bag that I bought like uh, in 2000. I think it was when I got my otoscope and stuff. That's really all I need. I need otoscope, stethoscope, blood pressure cuff. And, you know, some. so I started very slim. And as I built a practice, I, I, I built it a little bit more. But the best thing about this practice is when I opened this, and you have to realize I've been a practicing physician probably 10 years by then. And um, I have very good common sense as well. But I did not know that CBC, which is a, like a lot that you can get to check if someone is anemic or they have an infection, right? 
check their hemoglobin and things like that. I did not know that that is actually really cheap. You can get it for like $2, $3. I actually paid, I believe, $3.25 in my area. But I know some of my friends in Florida can get it for $2. I think Kansas is kind of the same, maybe even lower. I always thought that it cost like $150. You know why? Because the insurance pays $150 to the lab for that. And like CAT scan, I was just like $2,000. Why? Because my deductible is $2,000. So I was like, crap, it costs a lot of money. Like, but you can get it actually CAT scan for $225. You can get MRI for $425. MRIs sure. like, through insurance are like $5,000. So the best thing about direct primary care, it's a relationship between me and my patient. I don't take insurance. They pay a monthly fee. Monthly fee is really reasonable. Some of us charge $10 for children. Some charge like $20, $25. Adults can be anywhere from, you kind of have to look around and, and there's a place on the internet where you can find the direct primary care doctor, but you can have unlimited care, see a doctor as many times as you need to. Call me whenever you want. I was in Europe when I had patients calling me and they, I was taking care of them. And for less than $100 a month, and you can be seen as many times as you want to, you, that's it. You, you, you pay that monthly fee and you were done. But the nicest thing is it was me and you. There was no insurance. Whether you have insurance or not, I don't care. And I suggest that you have it if you end up in a hospital. But for me, you did not need it. And it was me and you making these decisions. Well, there's a nice preview uh, into what we'll hear after the break. We'll take a quick break, hear from our sponsors, and be right back, Healthcare Americana. There comes a time when the man of the house must take charge. Family planning is a tough conversation for many. And at Happy Dad Vasectomy, we understand that decision isn't easy. When your family is complete, our no-needle, no-scalpel, no-stitches procedure will give you peace of mind about your family's future. Happy Dad Vasectomy conveniently books appointments within two weeks of calling and has locations in central and northern Indiana. Visit happydadvasectomy.com to learn more. Happy Dad Vasectomy, the easiest part of family planning. Welcome back. We're here with Dr. Katerina Lindley. We've just heard uh, her fascinating story, given her uh, unique background and upbringing behind the Iron Curtain, and uh, how those lessons learned translate to what we're seeing today and the way that that physicians and the rest of us can help shape a, a healthcare system uh, truly appreciate you sharing that with us. Fabulous uh, rendition of, of your own version of the American dream. Um, given your background and your unique perspective, I know you're very active today working to reform healthcare to avoid really the, the perils and pitfalls of going down that dark road towards socialized medicine. Can you give us some insight into how uh, you're involved in, in that initiative and things that you're working on today and kind of talk us through... Uh, what perhaps a better system would look like in the future? I'm a firm believer that for a um, healthcare system to continue to thrive, we have to allow physicians to become a little bit more independent. And I found that in direct primary care. And some of my friends specialists are doing direct care where they have the patient based fee to be seen and things like that. Because I found that when you work in these big systems, and that's kind of like really what centralized medicine would be, when you work for these big medical groups, uh, universities, and things like that, you really don't have autonomy. You have to decide if you want to order something or if you want to have certain studies. You are highly encouraged to do it within your system because if you do it within your own system, they're going to make more money, right? 
But for me, as an independent physician, I'll tell my patient, you can get your x-ray here for $60, or you can travel for half an hour and get it somewhere for $40. Maybe you want to go shopping there, so get it there for $40. You know, I give them these options. And also, I feel that patients have to get hold of their healthcare. Patients need to stop being warriors of their own health care and do whatever the doctor tells them. You know what? Debate it. Be involved. You decide how much you pay. You decide what you want to spend that money. If you have a friend that likes uh, this uh, x-ray uh, department better, because a little more use, you go there. Letting someone else make decisions for you, I think, is uh, what has gotten us into this mess. Doctor, if I could jump in, and I'll speak as a, as a layman, it's very difficult for consumers to make those decisions. And, and one thing that we, we advocate with, with direct primary care is that you now have a physician, an expert to help you make those decisions. And, and it's tough. And I, I, as I say, I'm an attorney and I ask people, would you ever step into a courtroom to defend yourself without an attorney? And everybody says, no, that'd be, that'd be crazy. I don't know the lay of the land. I don't know the rules. I don't know how to make decisions in a, in a courtroom. Well, same thing with your health. And given the fact that you now can have an advocate and you mentioned someone who's not beholden to the hospital or the system or, or some other power that power to be, someone who reports to you as the customer and the client, now you've got someone in your back pocket to help you navigate that very difficult and confusing landscape and help you make those decisions. Is that not your interpretation of, of one of the many roles that direct primary care can play? It is because, um, you know, um, People always say like healthcare is so expensive. Healthcare is not expensive because the doctor is not expensive. I just proved to you that labs are not expensive. We can get them for $3 a piece. Sure, there are some labs that are going to cost us $15, but if you use your insurance, they're probably costing you $500. So labs are not expensive. Radiology is not expensive because there are a lot of places that will allow you to pay cash and pay uh, lower prices. What's expensive are people behind us. The insurance people are expensive. The bureaucrats are expensive because they need to justify what they're doing. So they're putting all these layers of different expenses on what you end up paying. And uh, even as a physician, when we moved here, we became uh, self-employed. We had to get our own insurance. I was paying $1,500 a month for the family of seven. And my deductible was $15,000 a year. So... 1500 a month, what is that? Like 15000 plus, that's 18000 plus another fifteen. That's what, $33,000? I don't even know. And that's like just to have the privilege to use my insurance, by the way, because I had to spend all that money first to be able to use my insurance. For $33,000, you can be in charge of your own health. Uh, actually, if you guys go, uh, uh, for your viewers, just go to Surgery Center of Oklahoma website and look up their prices. I actually have it open on my phone. Bilateral knee arthroscopy, cash price is $5,300. That's it. That you're going in and coming out. You don't pay anything else. You go and have that somewhere, any hospital around you is probably $40,000. And your deductible for your $40,000, I don't know, it's maybe $10,000 because you haven't met your deductible this year. I just proved to you, you can actually save $5,000. Just go and price around. And that's like, if you want to reform healthcare, you put patient in the driver's seat. I'm not in charge. You are. I'm just your companion. I'm your passenger. I'm here to advise you. And also, let's not forget, which system in the world, which business in the world, do you go, you go to the ER, you have no freaking clue how much your bill is going to be at the end. You have no clue. Where did this happen? 
as a consumer. When you go buy pizza, you know it's going to cost maybe $10, $12, maybe $15 if I go to a fancy place. If you go to the hospital, you have no clue. And then so if true. your ER doctor is not in your network, it's going to be even more because the ER doctor, the hospital is in network, so you assume your ER doctor is in network. Oh, no, 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 so because the ER doctor works for a different group. We are bankrupting people over healthcare, and healthcare is not expensive. It's people behind us that are expensive. So um, the only way, and this is why, you know, I love and believe in the United States. I love America because um, you're in charge. You decide. You have liberty and freedom to do so. So true. And uh, I can decide how much and how I want to spend my money. I don't need someone else to make those decisions for me. So it sounds to me, and I'll relate one quick story because you mentioned the Surgery Center of Oklahoma, and um, there was a Canadian friend of mine uh, a couple years ago, and he was lamenting the fact that he needed uh, some minor, uh, I think, wrist surgery, and it was a really painful situation, and, and, and he was on a wait list in Canada with, of course, their so-called universal health coverage. Uh, I think he was nine to 10 months out, maybe a couple, maybe a year or two from being able to have this minor operation perform so that he could get back to life as normal. And I showed him that same website and I said, look, you could go do this next weekend. Here's the cash yeah. price. It's that easy. And his eyes about popped out of his head. He said, you've got to be kidding me. That, that's available. And uh, I, I wonder if he ever took me up on that. But anyways, Dr. Lindley, it's been a pleasure to speak with you today. I, I hope our listeners have enjoyed a really unique perspective. I, I think just didn't to, to sum up uh, what you've said, you know, a, a system, there is no perfect system. Uh, what we need is a is a thriving, robust, competitive marketplace within the United States where the best ideas, the best care delivery methods, uh, the best value proposition to consumers are allowed to 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 bubble up to the surface and allowed to to win. And when you look at the systems in the past that have restricted that sort of of innovation and and tried to cram a one size fits all model on millions and millions of people. Uh, it usually results in misery and um, typically a very poor outcome that, that people, they, they lose the right to exit. And well, as you can attest, it's, it's not a fun result. Dr. Katarina Lindley, thank you for being with us today. Very much appreciate you sharing your unique perspective and what you experienced growing up in what is really socialized medicine. Thank you for having me. Healthcare Americana is powered by Freedom HealthWorks, managed by Melissa Turpin, produced by Taylor Scott and iPodcast Pro. Send us your thoughts at info at healthcareamericana.com. I'm Christopher Habig. Thanks for listening. Hi again, everyone. This is Chris. At Healthcare Americana, we're always on the lookout for great stories to tell in the healthcare industry. And we'd like to hear yours. Check out healthcareamericana.com and send us your ideas for episodes or if you'd like to be a guest. And hey, if you're interested in becoming a sponsor, let us know that too. Thanks again for listening. Hope you enjoy it.